Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard, and today we'll be talking to Jean-Christophe Dufré from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. What happens when you combine a real-life pilot, flies, and micromechatronics? How about a bio-inspired microflyer, which is the state of the art in this Precambrian era of aerial robotics? Ready for takeoff? Hi Jean-Christophe, welcome to Talking Robots. Bonjour Sabine. So you've been working on an indoor microflyer, which is capable of navigating indoors based on a system which is inspired from the fly. So how do flies work? Well, you know, I'm not a biologist, but um, I can tell you because I read quite a lot of papers from, from them. So... Basically, uh, what flying insects do in general is that they use three uh, kind of different sensors. So they use obviously their, their um, compound eye, which is spanning a wide field of view, which is quite low resolution. So they use vision essentially to stabilize the, fly, uh, the flight and or avoid obstacles, avoid collisions. They also have, uh, at least for the flies, they also have uh, haltiers that are small uh, organs that are beating just behind uh, the wing and providing the sense of gy gyroscopic sense, so the, the speed of rotations around the three main axes of the body. So they have sort of gyroscopes, if you want. And they also possess uh, hairs and antenna that allows them to probably feel the airflow and the airspeed. So that's the three main sensory modalities that they are using for stabilizing and, and uh, being able to navigate in an environment plus others, plus different stuff that I don't know exactly the details. So one of the things you've been looking at is optic flow. How does this work? Yeah, sure. So the, the, the main thing they do with their vision, as far as we know, is that they, they transform it into what we call the optic flow, which is basically the, the image velocity on the retina. So how fast the image is moving, basically, on, on the retina of the fly. And this tells you, in fact, how far you are from obstacles and how much you, you move, how much you rotate and how much you, 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 you translate. And using this optic flow information, you can, you can tell uh, whether you should rather turn or, or uh, go up or down, stuff like this. So this is very useful to, uh, to first control the flight of insects and also controlling the, the flight of, uh, of robots. You built a flying platform based on this principle. Uh, what does your plane look like? How does it fly? Yeah, so basically we try to, to take this um, uh, inspiration from, from uh, flies uh, and to implement it into um, a flying robots that would autom autonomously fly around the room. So we have now a small um, robot that looks like an airplane, if you want, but it's only 10 grams so it's really it's, it's really lightweight, but it is uh, it has a, a standard wing. It is not flapping, and it has the three uh, main sensory modalities that I told you before: so vision, uh, gyroscopes, and uh, a way of sensing airflow. So by using the the three uh, sensory modalities I was mentioning before, and that and that is present in the fly. Uh, you can basically tell how fast the, the, the airplane moves. You can also tell how close you are from obstacles. And based on those simple signals, you can tell 
what you have to do with the elevator and the rudder, which uh, basically steer the airplane. So, for example, if you feel a lot of optic flow on your right, you will steer left. And if you feel a lot of optic flow on, on the, um, underneath uh, your, your body, you will steer up and stuff like this. So it's quite reactive behavior so far, but it works well. So at this stage, we achieve up to 10-minute autonomous flight with this 10-gram robot in a sort of prepared environment in the sense that we still need quite a lot of contrast all around. But you can just launch it in the environment and it will remain airborne for, for 10 minutes. And then you have to catch it. And how can you get contrast in your environment? Yeah, so at this stage, we, we still need a sort of experiment environment that is uh, tuned to, uh, to, to this airplane in some, in some sense. Uh, in fact, we, we have a, a square room that is uh, seven by seven meter wide with three meters high. And we project, it has uh, white walls all around, and we project on the walls uh, visual textures that are, that are well con contrasted. And also on the ground, we have a sort of um, carpet that, that has a lot of contrast, white and black, randomly distributed white and black um, uh, textures. And this is because uh, our cameras that are on board the, the microflyer, the, the small flying robot, are really uh, not as good as uh, fly eyes in the sense that they are not able to, to cope with uh, loss of contrast and, and different kind of background light and intensities. So what would be needed to be able to f use this algorithm in any type of environment? Well, basically uh, improved visual sensors. So, yeah, the, the idea would be to be able to, to feel contrast where the current cameras are not able to do it. So it's not higher resolution camera, but it would be cameras that, that are basically adaptive in the sense that they could adapt to different background light and be able not to be uh, um, uh, blinded by, by a lot of light or by sunlight and being still able to see something in, in dark regions. You were talking about this small experimental room. What does it take to fly a robot in such a small area? Okay, so yeah, the fact that the area is small um, will imply that you need to have something that flies slowly and that is quite maneuverable. So in fact, you could imagine to have something like a flapping device that flies like a fly, but it's not the option that we took because we didn't want to spend too much time in designing the mechanics of the, the robot. So basically, you have to do something that is really lightweight and can fly slowly. And for that, you can, you can uh, simply reduce the weight of the components. And you have to uh, mostly redesign the actuators and make sure that you get the smallest possible batteries. And that's more or it. And then you spend a lot of time understanding how you can put everything together, choosing very lightweight materials to have something that flies nicely. Okay, can you give us some insight as to what these light materials are and these special actuators and sensors? Sure. So what we have on our current robot is uh, basically um, carbon fibers. So it's really thin carbon fibers, like uh, down to 0.3 millimeters uh, in diameter. And that basically constitute the, 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 the airframe, if you want. And then we cover uh, the carbon fiber frame by uh, mylar foil. So it's really thin uh, sort of plastic that you just have to glue on it. And then we use um, standard DC motors that you find in your mobile phone. So it's pager, what we call pager motors that I use to, to make them vibrate. I think now we use four millimeter in diameter, uh, diameter uh, uh, motors that are then geared in order to propel the, the airplane. And for the rudder and actuators, we have what we call 
a magnet in a coil actuator. So it's just a small magnet in a, in a coil that is producing a certain magnetic field and implying certain torque on the surfaces. Is your motivation to take inspiration from biology or from flies to create an efficient control? Or would you also like to be able to give something back to biology with your robot? I think both both directions are quite interesting, but as long as you don't have tight connections with biologists, it's difficult to do the second the second way. So basically, uh, in fact, we had an engineering problem, which was to uh, be able to control efficiently a small and lightweight flying device. And because the, the classical approaches, uh, like using um, distance sensors or radars and stuff like this, are diffi- uh, really difficult to apply at such a weight range because you don't find um, lightweight enough sensors, we had to to look at into nature that is in fact able to solve that, that problem at a smaller range, if you want. So that's why we, we decided to take inspiration from nature. And then you can look at the sensor modalities, you can look at the information processing, you can look at at the, the control strategies. And every every of the of these uh, levels are interesting to look at. Now, if by taking biological principles you can help biology to progress that's nice but you really have to to make sure that the the biologists agree with what you are doing and so far i don't think that we progressed too much in that direction it's not the main goal in fact what applications do you envision for your microflyers so for the for the the actual one that we have now the 10 gram one uh, probably you have basically no application, no direct application uh, outside research. But of course, if you can solve the problem of 3D uh, collision-free navigation at uh, really light uh, weight, then you can tackle a range of applications uh, like, uh, for example, um, surveillance indoor or or, uh, being able to automate underwater robots that have exactly the same, that have exactly the same kind of problems, basically 3D obstacle avoidance and stabilization. So it's not it's not that our microflyer will be able to to turn into an application directly. So you're talking about this 10 gram robot, which is made of very thin plastic, and it makes me think that it's very fragile. Is this the case? Not really. You know, it's like basically it's like an insect. As soon as you decrease the weight and the mass of your of your system, then uh, as if if it crash if it crashes into into an obstacle, it won't break so easily because it is lightweight. Plus, in our case, we have uh, mounted, for example, the wing and the back, the wing and the battery on magnets. And as soon as it would crash, it would detach. So it, it would uh, further reduce the uh, the weight that is on board. So no, it's not really breakable, uh, except if you if you have, of course, sharp objects in the environment that could uh, destroy the, the, the airfoil and stuff like this. In 201, you also co-founded a, an EPFL spin-off company, which, among other things, sells a version of this microflyer. So how is the market in aerial robotics? Well, this company was rather, um, uh, how to say, it was not um, uh, really uh, based on a market study and, and, and the usual way of doing a startup. So it's, it's rather a dream of uh, Jean-Daniel Nicou, professor at EPFL, to whom I have good relationship. And this dream was about trying to push and to continue the development of these microflyers and also try to, pr- to propose low-cost uh, robots for education. So I don't think this is really connected to your second question, which is about the, the market of, uh, for, for the, the flying robots. So in general, flying robots uh, in, in 
in in the range of uh, what we are interested in, so really lightweight and and stuff like this to fly indoor for example i think the market is now in the in the toy area so we could imagine to what well, we already sell in fact um, um this kind of airplanes that are really lightweight that can um fly in your living room and this i think there is a quite interesting uh quite interesting market let's talk a bit about the future now just last week there was a conference on flying insects and robots um where is all this headed who else is doing flying insect robots well i i think the the field is uh is growing a little bit these last uh five ten years there are more and more people that uh, think that for for being able to reduce the weight and the size of flying robots, they have to take in inspiration from nature. So it's more or less the same, uh, the same um, uh, motivation as we have uh, in the lab. And so there are many people from all around the world that are starting to do that. So I think that uh, uh, this conference was good to see who are the key, the key players and, and uh, how we can uh, discuss between biology and, and between biologists and roboticists to see whether we can bring to each other something. So it's hard to tell whether this field will grow uh, more in the future, but at least now I think there, has, there have been nice achievements that have, have been shown at this conference. And for example, we had more or less the first um, uh, flapping wing below 20 gram that, has, that was uh, flying really nicely. So that's the first time I saw something like this that, would, that was able to um, fly efficiently and to hover efficiently and it was really nice to see so yeah there are man many uh, achievements that are done in this field and probably if you want to achieve um, a fly-like robot at the size of a fly we have still to to pursue the effort in order to be able to reach that kind of things what do you see as the most promising areas of research in aerial robotics I have the feeling that aerobotics is in its early days. If you if you keep aside all what is um, uh, GPS based, and you look at what is remaining, there is almost nothing. So I think we are really in the pre-Cambrian period of flying robotics. In fact, a robot is now at this stage uh, almost unable to a flying robot is almost unable to simply avoid obstacles. So I think we have to start from scratch, and to first study the basic uh, as we did like. 20 years ago for, for uh, wheel robots and to understand how we can have them flying autonomously without relying on external beacons like GPS. So what are the limits and challenges in aerial robotics? Well, there, there are many, many challenges in general. So um, I guess the, the most critical one probably is, is the, the energy because if you want to have something that works in a real-life application, we need to have a, more than 30 minutes of operation, which is uh, nowadays the case with, with uh, small uh, electric-based um, uh, systems. So that, for sure, is, is one of the main issues. Then if you want to extend beyond um, uh, basic obstacle avoidance, you need to be able to know where you are going and, and if you don't have any GP GPS and you don't know where you are so you have to, to find a way of doing it. So in this area it depends of, of course of the application but in this area there are probably uh, new concepts and, and, and uh, specifically bio-inspired ones that could be used as for example order following and stuff like this but it's, it's still uh, open to, to research. Uh, probably with, with flying robots uh, more than with terrestrial robots you need to make sure that you, you, 
you're not dangerous to people like when you are doing research with them, for example. So it's a wide area of research of what kind of platform and testbed you could develop in order to make sure that you don't crash into people and hurt them while you are you are developing your, your algorithms. And um, yeah, probably the, in, in the aerodynamic domain, there is also a lot left to, to do, uh, like platform that could be uh, efficient in both uh, tra uh, translating and hoovering and being maneuverable enough in order to enter buildings, for example, uh, or, or um, uh, destroyed buildings for search and rescue and stuff like this. So there are many research and I think, yeah, flying robotics deserves a, mo a bit more uh, attention from, from researchers as finally uh, 20, 30 years ago, uh, researchers put efforts in, in terrestrial robotics. In all areas of robotics now, how do you think robots will have changed our lives in the next 20 years? I have no idea about this, but what I dream of would be to to push, of course, uh, the aerial robotics applications. And I think, for example, one thing that could change our life and that is not so far away from what we have now is uh, personal aerial transportation. In fact, using aerial robots in order to be able to transport either small uh, small goods or um, even uh, people. For example, having something that could um, trans transport you from your home to your working place would be a nice thing. And and this is actually a flying robot, right? Because you you would like to be able to enter the, the, the thing or like an elevator, in fact, and push a button and it would just uh, transport you to, to your working place. And you, can, you could just avoid having uh, a traffic jam and, and stuff like this. Okay. Thanks, Jean-Christophe, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Thank you, Sabine. That was Talking Robots with Jean-Christophe Zufrian, Flying Insects and Robots. Hope to see you in two weeks for our one-year anniversary. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch